What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Shit Podcast. This is episode 86. Uh, and today I'm talking to a, uh, a junior officer. Effectively, she's um, has a really unique career path that I thought was really interesting. And then um, not not just in her professional development and how she navigated that, but also uh, due to like mental health issues that interrupted that progression. Um, and she got she was really candid about that, which I really appreciated it. Um, and, uh, it was, we started talking, um, based on, a, a frustration with like kind of how, um, her career has unfolded in the new community and just has, she arrived at a decision that she's going to move on from the Navy, which, you know, it's some, it, it's fine. Like it, she's going to kill it. I'm sure. I'm really excited to hear from her once she, she transitions and, and moves on to, her civilian career. Um, but it just, the whole thing from beginning to end, I think there was a ton of leadership lessons to pull from this really, really enjoyed talking to her. It turns out we actually know each other. Uh, (laughs) that's another story for another time, but I didn't know that going in, but the submarine community is a small world. So, uh, I really hope you all enjoy this. Check it out. All right. So, um, just like we talked about, we'll just start with, um, just give me as much detail as you're comfortable with on like kind of like your background starting off when you first joined the Navy and then progressing through um, your first tour and just give like the experience in community and, and jobs and everything else and then progressing to where you are now and then we'll go from there. Okay, sounds good. Uh, yeah, so I uh, commissioned through OCS. Uh, then I went through the nuclear pipeline, did power school in Charleston, prototype up in New York. Then uh, did the submarine officer basic course and then showed up to my first boat, uh, Boomer, mm-hmm. and did kind of a weird split J.O. tour type of thing due to mental health issues. So I was on Limdu for a year and then went to okay. another Boomer, finished out my J.O. tour, uh, failed PNEO, and then from there I switched over to uh, the cryptologic warfare officer community. And that's where I am now. Yeah. Um, what, so like starting at the beginning, cause like just for people's clarity, cause like when you say, cause I got confused by it too, is when you say you commissioned through OCS, it makes me think that, uh, you were prior enlisted. So can you explain the program that you commissioned through so that people understand? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, officer candidate school is, um, basically, basically there's three commissioning routes, right? You have the Naval Academy and you have ROTC, And then officer candidate school is just for um, officers who have basically already been to college and now want to commission. And for submarine officers, if you go that route, you're going to do something called the NUPOC program, nuclear officer um, or nuclear propulsion officer candidate. Mm -hmm. And the way that works is before you commission, you're essentially an E6. So in terms of pay, benefits, time and service. And they'll accept you up to your uh, sophomore year in college. So theoretically, you could be an E6 for three years before commissioning. I didn't join till after I had already graduated. So I still mm. had to go the new POC route, but I was an E6 technically for like six months um, before I commissioned. But didn't you didn't go like to boot camp and then do an enlisted time first, correct? Right. No, I didn't do right. any enlisted okay. time. 
Yeah, it's because that was what I got confused by. And so I was like, well, what did you do when you were enlisted? <laughs> and <then> like, <laughs> I got, yeah, I got my, uh, I got caught up there. And then, so can you explain to also, like, so I don't think if for submariners, I think they're like most people forward of the water tight door are at least vaguely familiar with the term PNEO. But like, um, for just, I have a lot of listeners that are outside of uh, the submarine community as well. So just like, can you go through, kind of like the normal submarine like first JO tour and then like when you get to PNEO like what is PNEO and how does it work and why is it relevant or is it relevant and we can go through that once we get to that point as well oh yeah we can talk about is it relevant yeah uh, <laughs> yeah a little butthurt there um yeah so you uh you start off your JO tour you show up to your boat you're a new divo back aft somewhere I was mm-hmm. the reactor controls assistant um, you're working mainly on engineering quals. You're trying to qualify engineering officer of the watch, engineering duty officer, and then you do that. You move up forward. Mm-hmm. That's when you start your um, all your quals on the con. Uh, you do that, and then you're on your way to fish. Once you get your fish, um, although misconception, you don't need your fish to go to um, PNEO, the right. prospective nuclear engineer officer school. Um, but right around the time you're getting your fish or you have your fish, you go to PNEO, and that's this advanced uh, nuclear school, and school is spoken with quotes there because literally all it is, it's a big room full of um, reactor plant manuals, RPMs. And you're really? sitting there, and you have a giant binder of questions, and you have to find the answers to all these questions. Uh, is the way it's supposed to work, but how it actually works is the <clears throat> the instructors will have um, prior exams and stuff that they, they give out based on what they know. Um, Naval reactors or NR likes to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, uh, binders of, uh, like other, other JOs who have gone through, they have these, um, locally generated exams. And so you have all this gouge essentially, so you can kind of see what NR likes to focus on. Yeah. And that's, that's really what you're studying. So it's just like a big room full of books and you just go in there and independently study based on, you know, the guidelines or whatever. Yep, exactly. That is bizarre. There's a few hours of instruction on certain topics, but for the most part, it's it's all self-study. What, like, that seems ridiculous. That seems completely pointless to me. Like, Like, one, you could probably do that on the boat, but two, like... What like so? What's the purpose? Like, what is the stated purpose of the the air quote school? Like going in, like what's the point of it in a in a JO's progression? So what it's supposed to do is qualify you to be an eng, and every department head needs to be qualified to be an eng. Um, mm. So where my issue with that obviously is, I mean, I'm sure you've seen you know navs and wepses who couldn't you know find the the yeah. aft water tight door, right? Uh, and then, you know, we had we had an eng coming from a 688, right? So PNEO is specific to your platform. So we had Ooh. an eng on our boomer come from a 688. Knew nothing about the plant, although I'm yeah. sure he did great at his PNEO. So um, the actual translation into you passing PNEO and being a good eng on your next tour or even a good department head, um, yeah. there's very little translation there. Really uh, in weird. addition to that, boomer gold crews will have uh, LDO wepses who are not nuclear trained at all. And you mean like green crews, like shipyard. Uh, no. So or? the 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 gold crew. So mm-hmm. the gold crew will have an LDO Weps, and then the 
Blue Crew will have an LDO AWEP. So these are MTs. Oh, you know, okay. I'm with you. I don't yeah. know why I just put ENG together with that. But yeah, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm no, with the, you. The WEPs, right. So no nuclear training, power school, prototype, none of that. They're prior yeah. MTs. And they're some of the best, you know, officers I've gotten oh, to yeah. with. Yeah, my AWEPs was a, he was an FT senior chief um, before and he was amazing. I love that dude. He was, you could tell he was like, he questioned his competence a lot because he wasn't nuclear trained, but also like he was one of the best officers of the decks. Once he got his feet under him, like having him in control is awesome because he was the only officer of the deck that understood what I was doing in the dive chair. So he like, me and him got along great. Like, and he would tell me sometimes even when I was pretty new at stand and dive, um, he would like give me advice, like he'd be like, "Hey, when this is happening, you know, you know what I mean." And so, like, and he had both, like both uh, perspectives because he used to sit in the dive chair, and then as off the deck, he kind of saw the big picture in a way that I didn't. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So definitely, like we said earlier, you know, the usefulness of PNEO uh, can <laughs> definitely be argued. But that, as it stands, that's uh, that's a JO's progression right now to trying to make department head. Okay, and then just so for. For everyone's clarity, if you don't pass PNEO, which you get two attempts, is that right? Right. And then, so if you don't pass, which passing is defined by a set of interviews, is that right as well? So there is a final exam. So while you're practicing, these are all um, locally generated exams by Mm -hmm. the instructors who are just, who are JOs on shore tour. Yeah. And then the final exam comes from NR, so from DC, like the head of, you know, all of the the nuclear program of the entire Navy. So they, they mail that exam out. You take it. They mail the exam back. You don't know what the Ooh. results of the exam are. So regardless of how you okay. do the exam, you go and do the interview in D.C. with NR. And then after all that, they'll tell you. Um, so I think the, the second time I failed a portion of the exam, and I was like, well, then why did I fly out here? <laughs> right. Well, kind of pointless. Yeah, that's yeah. so ridiculous. Like, you're telling me you can't put somebody in wherever the school is to grade the freaking exam? Like, come on. Right. Wow. Um, okay. So, if and if you don't pass those two, then you're reclassified. Like, you have to pick a new, like, warfare community. Right. Um, so, then it, it depends on, like, your time in service. So I did OCS, mm-hmm. so I didn't owe the Navy anything for college. Okay. So I could have gotten out, um, okay. but I chose to do what's called a POCR board, a probationary, probationary officer continuation and redesignation. Okay. And uh, I chose, well, actually, my first choice was engineering duty officer, just because yeah. that's, you know, kind of what I know. Adjacent, yeah. Right. Um, but I ended up getting selected for um, for cryptologic warfare, which is part of the intel community. Okay. And then is that, so that's compulsory if it's somebody that like, owes the Navy time because they went to the Naval Academy or whatever. And if it, if you're in your case, it wasn't because you didn't owe time. Right. Right. Okay. I just gotten out. So then, so you go into, so how does that work when you spend this much time in the military and then you're reclass? They like, did they send you to a ton of schools and stuff? Like how did the, how did the integration into the crypto community happen? Yeah, so training for uh, crippies is a little different. So there's two pretty, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I hated it when I first heard it, but that's what everyone calls us. So yeah, we're crippies. Um, But our training is pretty short. It's two very short schools, Uh, and then you go to um, one of these. uh, They call them the Big Four. There's four big sites. 
where essentially you're trying to get your information warfare pin. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's the Crippy pipeline is very much kind of choose your own career path. It's not nearly as structured as like a, a JO's um, okay. career would be on a submarine. So there, there's a lot of different avenues you could take. But basically being, you know, a late transfer into the community, right? I'm up for 04. Yeah. I don't even have my information yeah. warfare pin. So it, it ends up being very compressed compared to someone who's an ensign and right. has done tons of stuff in the community. Do they, um, cause I'm coming from the perspective of like, so obviously like enlisted career progressions and the, the, the things are different, but you know, kind of the same in ways where like I talk to my supply officer all the time about like the, the way in which supply officers are promoted and all the wickets they got to hit and all this crap. And it seems really strange the way officers do it, but it's, it's like, it's similar, like they're related. <laughs> and so, um, it, how, how does it work for you guys? Cause like I come from the perspective of sitting the chiefs board where you can see pe- candidates like that, where they got reclassified for whatever reason. And so they have less time in the, their rate, but they're still up for chief because they were maybe a second class or a young first class when they got reclassified and they had to drink out of that fire hose and then try to get to a place where they had the appropriate quals and whatever else. But you still weigh the prior performance in the other rating like in in a it's it's complex because obviously it's like there's going to be a lot of it that's not relevant to me judging whether or not they're ready to be a chief in that new career field but it's like it's the performance itself is still relevant in their potential to be a chief because there's parts of being a chief that aren't rating specific so it's it's kind of weird so how do they if you if i don't know how much detail you would know about this but i imagine you've looked into it it's like how do they do that for you as far because my understanding is officer like promotions are a lot more stringent in that way like where there's these very like clear lines of of you have to do the following things in order to get promoted like so how do they do that for somebody that's in your situation right so we have these things called uh precepts um Mm But you can go on, you know, like the NAVPERS websites for the right. different communities and find. And it, like you said, it lays out exactly what they're looking for in in 04. Um, because right. up to 03, basically, you stay out of trouble. You'll make 03. Right. But 04 is when they start really looking um, to see that you hit these uh, criteria. And so it can be hard as a late transfer because you've got, you know, two years to hit all these criteria. Um, right. So one of the big things that has kind of... Um, messed up my career progression and I really I tried to plan for this but you know you know the navy works they right. do what they want with you <laughs> they don't care about you or your career um, yeah. so it really messed me up uh so the crippy community is big on trying to get underway time because right. in this intel community you don't necessarily have to go underway um yeah. so the people who do um PCS afloat tours or um direct support uh, where you're not you're you're basically like a rider so where mm. you're a rider on a a surface ship or a submarine or yeah. even aircraft, these people with underway time uh, are obviously looked at better right. for promotion. And that, so let's get into that part of it. So like we talked a little via uh, email about the challenges, but like, so what exactly prevented you from getting to that point? Cause like, I, I don't understand the, 
community much at all, even though I know I have a, to have a ton of CTs listening, but like what, uh, like how, how does, how does that work in that? Like if it's, if it's viewed favorably, is it, why is it made so difficult? Is it just like a lack of spots or is it, are they just being selective to like who they think deserves it or right. both like who, or how does that work? Who knew it would be so difficult yeah. in the Navy <laughs> to, to try and get to put on a see. ship, right? Uh, that's uh, hilarious. Yeah. So for officers, the, uh, the detailing process, um, when you're a, a pocker into this community, mm. the detailer will send you a sheet and you basically you pick, you know, one of the big four, depending on the location you prefer. Mm. And then you pick um, either what's called a national tour. So that's um, that's basically you're a shore tour. You're just there mm. um, at the command doing the mission or you can pick direct support. And so I opted for. Oh, and if you pick direct support, you can pick surface subsurface or air so i opted mm. for direct support surface and mm. then i picked one of the big four and then i got sent there and trying to communicate with my detailer you know i'm trying to get more details um it's like talking to a brick wall she didn't yeah. pick up her phone like on principle i think she just she didn't answer her phone um so you had to email her and her emails were very short so i really didn't know what i was getting into so you right. know, i picked i picked a location i picked a preference and then i get there and i'm told oh, we don't deploy officers. Like, that's just not a thing we do. So it's like, okay, well, why was this an option for my yeah. detailing, right? Um, and nominally, these are these are three-year tours, so that's what I, I thought I'd be doing. But it turns out what actually they want you to do is you spend about a year, year and a half getting your pin, and then they immediately detail you PCS afloat to a ship. Um, huh. And that is what I was trying not to do. I did not want to be... Um, PCS afloat trying to make 04 and yeah. you know trying to deal with all that so I wanted to get my underway time um, there's something called a tactical AQD you need and you need a certain number of days for that so I was trying to get my tactical AQD through Dursup and get my pin at the same time and then be set up for 04 um, and then I also bought a house out here so I was planning on you know the full three years right. um, out in this location and then I get told oh nope that's that's not how it works. It's like, well, great. It would have been nice, you know. I would have picked something else. Would have been nice to know that. Yeah. Um, and then the extra frustrating thing about that is there was another officer who showed up at the same time I did, and she was on national orders, and she was planning on buying a house and getting a dog and settling down here for three years. Yeah. And they immediately sent her underway. Um, and she didn't want to go. I'm assuming. Right. Exactly. And so, here I am, just ready to go. Like literally, I oh my, my orders God. are written for deployment, and hers are not. And How I just typical. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I don't know what the logic was there. But that's just the Navy. There is no logic. It's so typical of like yeah. this. It's so typical Navy. Um. So, God, that's so strange. And I don't. I guess I don't understand why. Like. I would imagine, and this is not a swipe at anybody in the crypto community or any other shore-based career field or anything, but like I, I've experienced, so I was an A school instructor and uh, obviously I've been on submarines and then on shore duty. And it's like the vast majority of people for whatever strange reason don't want to go to sea when they join the Navy. So I would imagine it wouldn't be like there would be more spots than there would be willing occupants of those spots to go to see. I could, Im I could imagine like if there were like 
cool guy deployments that you guys do that there might be more people that just because it's sexy and they see it in the movies they're right. like oh i want to do that instead um but as far as just going to sea on a on a surface ship like i can't imagine like it, it, that there would be it would be that difficult but then it just sounds like the navy's doing navy things and they're like making simple things hard for no reason right like yeah. because is it over, like if you looked at the whole community, is it is it difficult to get deployed orders on a ship, or is it it was it just made arbitrarily difficult for you at your command? So there are certain reasons why at this command that mm. it is a little more difficult to deploy, and yeah. uh, so about a year ago we had a complete uh, change of our chain of command and my new department head, um, you know, kind of saw what was going on and credit to him. He, you know, was angry about it and he tried to yeah. change it. But at, at that point I was it's too late for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was too jaded. I'm, I'm on my way out. I'm ready to get out. Um, gotcha. but we do have another officer kind of very similar, you know, late transfer trying to get deployed and mm. we are probably actually going to get him deployed. Good. So credit, credit to this new department head, you know, but it, it just really takes, leadership to care about what's going yeah. on with your people yeah and that's terrifying in a way where it's like there's not enough because even if and even if there is but there's not enough like policy driven things that protect pe people like you from situations like that but then even if there is a lot of times it's like you'll see the junior person waving the instruction or the nav admin or whatever in the face of the of the senior person and they're just like shrugging at you like, well, that's not how we do things here. And it's like, well, it objectively is if you read this op nav instruction or whatever, but they're just, they just get to decide whether or not they're going to follow the rules. And it's like, if they decide not to, and you're intelligent enough to find the instruction, realize they're objectively wrong and then challenge them on it. It's made extremely difficult to win that argument anyway because then what's your recourse like okay so you could go up the chain of command or you could like do these other things file an ig whatever but it's like no matter how you do that you're always the enemy at the command and you create right. a hostile work environment for yourself yeah so it's like what's the re and it's probably going to damage your career whether that's fair or exactly. not which it's not yeah. you know what i mean so it's like it's made so difficult for what seems to be no reason because a lot of the times when I have these conversations with people, it's like they're trying to just do like, yes, sure. You're trying to do what's best for you, but what is best for you, you could say is measurably best for the Navy, right? Like if I develop you into the best cryptologic officer that I possibly can, that makes the Navy better. And it's like if what, and what melts my brain I got to make like a sticker or something of that because I say it so often. But like what kills me is is. Like, I, I don't understand why it's so. Like difficult for the organization to understand. Why developing you is what's best for the Navy and that like if. I just meet your needs, whatever they are, right? So like, you know, like, I'm a big fan of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it's like self-actualization is one of my favorites. But just the sense of belonging part is is most of the time the problem people have. And it's like if you just find ways to address that, that also color inside the lines of the Navy's like policy and 
whatever organizational norms and stuff like that good order discipline it's like you're gonna meet everyone's needs the majority of the time and and you're gonna be successful you're gonna be happy you're gonna feel like all your needs are met so you're gonna want to do great things for the navy but for some reason we get in our own way all the time with this yeah and i don't like i don't understand what like i don't understand why anyone thinks that's a good idea and i want like what is your perception of of the because there's like the the why like okay they said we don't do that here but like what was your perception of why really they didn't want to deploy you or why they don't want to deploy officers even though they did five minutes later like what was your perception of the kind of like the underlying reason why the either that policy existed or why they just applied it to you for whatever reason well so there is a good reason and is it not uh, something you can explain? Yeah, <laughs> That's it's fine. something I'd uh, I'd rather not have because I mean it'll like uh, it'll make it very obvious like oh this is you know oh, okay gotcha this this command over yeah, here yeah yeah and it, it makes sense but okay. it's not it's not a hard stop right like this we got a new department head who right. cared um, yeah and it it takes a little bit of extra effort to try and get officers deployed right but it can be done but it can be done right and I like, think the the previous chain of command just didn't care I just. I already know what the name of this episode is going to be. My CMC <laughs> has this, uh, we were talking about um, kind of like, so we've both gone to mental health and, and I mean, me and my CMC, we can, we'll get to, to your uh, experience with it in a, in a minute. But like he told me that, uh, cause him and I are very similar personalities and he's like, he's like, uh, oh, you have, you look at things kind of similarly to how I do where it's like can, should, shall. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, if you can do it, like, so if you have the opportunity as a leader and you can do something, you should do it. Like, it's like a, almost like a morality, like you're morally compelled. Like it's a responsibility right. that you have. Like if you see, and I've said this on the podcast, like if, if you see the leadership opportunity, you have a responsibility to like, like take advantage of that opportunity and meet the needs of whatever people need that leadership, blah, blah, blah. Right. Right. But then if then the where I get in trouble and where he gets in trouble is, well, if you should do it, you shall do it. You know what I mean? Like if, if <laughs> yeah. you should like if there that imperative exists to like take advantage of that opportunity and step into that gap and fill it, well, then you shall do it. And so it's you're no longer going above and beyond. You're no longer like, you know, doing more or taking advantage of an opportunity. Like you're just doing what you should, like what the bare minimum required expectation of a good leader would be by my definition. And my definition by some people's like analysis is like this unattainable standard of like, holy shit, this is almost unreachable. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm, I'm creating this, uh, unattainable standard even though it it feels like just an ideal you know like it feels like oh well this is just what we should be doing but Mm -hmm. if you should you shall and then you get into trouble with that so like i look at it like that in that way where it's like so like your department head it's like he understood that it what's best for you and all these other people coming through based on the standards set by the community are that for you to promote you need to deploy um, and it, it, it might not be, I, and you can cl- like clarify this for me, but like, I, is it, is it like a, 
a hard and fast line that you need to deploy and have that operational experience or it's just like a recommended for advancement kind of thing, like where it's like it'll help you promote but it's not actually required you know that's interesting i think you can get away with not deploying in this community especially because we're hemorrhaging o3s like o3s are getting okay. out of mass and so Ooh, i think I why. yeah <laughs> Uh, I think it's possible to get away without deploying, but it, okay. it definitely would look a little weird if, if you're an if 04 you and you've never been out to sea. Right. right. So the by that, with, like with that understanding, that department head is looking around like, well, what the hell? Like, obviously, we know this as a community and as leadership, we know that if these officers haven't been provided the opportunity to deploy, it's going to hinder their advancement. So why are we doing something about it? And, and got it, there's that reason that you're talking about where it's like a there's a, a known quantity that is, for whatever reason, justified. But there's ways around it. And so there's ways to make sure that, like, at the bare minimum, I ensure that as many as I can, even though it might not be all. And, and you know, you could look around and be like, all right, which ones are separating? Which ones are not interested whatever and that's going to narrow it down to like what half maybe that are are chomping at the bit to deploy so then i go about trying to fill trying to fill the needs of the half that are interested in deploying but like to me there's like there are certain things that might not get into the shell department but like can and should like your department head seems to understand and that's what that's where the leadership failure is for me is it's like, why aren't more people doing what he's doing where you walk into that job and by virtue of the position you hold, you kind of analyze like, all right, these are the responsibilities I have. And then based on those responsibilities that come along with this new job of mine, I'm going to start like analyzing all of the people that work for me and like figuring out what their needs are like what needs do they have and which ones haven't been met or aren't like currently being met and what can i do about that and then doing it (laughs) like it's i don't know it's it's really simple to me and it might not always be easy to execute but good lord like do the work like that's (laughs) what we get paid to do i don't i don't know the most rewarding things i've ever experienced in my career were when i went about finding a way for someone i mean like i have i don't know how familiar you are with like the charge books and stuff with chiefs but like it's basically like a career scrapbook there's a lot of other significance to it like i'm i'm simplifying it but it's i have a lot of things in there that like the most meaningful things to me are like when somebody sent me an email or um i got some cards from some people or whatever um that are all in there or pictures or like people have written in it and just said certain things. And like one of the ones I talk about a lot, I got this card from a A school student where her mom uh, was dying of cancer. Like she had terminal cancer and she joined the military. And I, I don't know if she found out after she joined or whatever, but she got to us, got cut orders to Norfolk. Um, and like when the, the instructor like goes in the room, tells everybody where they're going kind of thing. And uh, she like had a meltdown when she got orders to Norfolk. And so her chief instructor takes her out in the P-way, kind of gets the skinny and uh, comes to me and says, hey, I've got the student. Her mom's dying of cancer. She lives in San Diego. Um, this girl's hoping to get to San Diego so she could be close to her mom during the like last couple months. 
And I'm like, okay, yeah, everybody wants to go to San Diego. So like, or Hawaii. So like, go find out if this is real, like use tact. I don't want to push, but like, as soon as you're satisfied and you have a warm fuzzy that this isn't a student trying to take advantage of you, come tell me and I'll, I'll get to work. So she comes back like an hour later, tells me, yeah, this is real. I'm like, okay. So then I just got involved and like talked to our admin officer, talked to the detailer, got it fixed in a couple of hours, called the chief back in my office, said, Hey, your girl's going to San Diego. Um, wow. And I had this card that was on my desk the next day that just was like, you know, just profusely thanking me for changing her orders and like that her mom was happy about it and all this stuff. Um, and so I have that card in my charge book and I look at it all the time and it's just like that kind of stuff. Like people don't, I don't know that and it's not like, it's not the reason for doing it, but it kind of is, you know what I mean? Like you taking care of those people is, is sort of why we do this. Um, but I don't do it for the thank you card. I do it because it's what I'm, it's like, it's my job. It's like what we're charged with doing is taking care of these people. But it's like, that's what keeps me, that's what keeps me doing it. And I don't think a lot of leaders spend time thinking about the impact that they can have. I just think they, you know, a lot of people are just box checking and pulling a paycheck um, and being selfishly concerned about what's best for them personally. And I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of odd to me that, and this is why I always, I spend a lot of time beating the drum on leadership development and education. That's why I spend my time doing this podcast is like, we don't spend the time educating anyone on why this stuff is important and like what even just like what the reward is like the reward is you get to help all these people and and when you get that first like um you get that first result of whatever you did however small where it impacted a person in that kind of a way and they come back and tell you that you're it's like crack like you're you're it's over like you're gonna do that forever like i don't yeah. know anybody that wouldn't um and so, i don't know i'm getting off on a little bit of a tangent here but it's extremely frustrating to me that we don't do that and then like looping back around so i i want to ask you about um the so you said the little split tour because of the mental health issues so like because i talk openly all the time on the podcast about like i'm seeing a mental health professional and it it started with just normal anxiety and then well i thought it was normal um turns out it wasn't (laughs) and i was just like forcing myself to to deal with it um but then it was like the way i i try to describe it to people is like it was always there and it was getting worse over time and i was just i was excusing it as just normal like because yeah I was, you know, staying diving off to watch on a submarine underway on deployment. Like there's a certain level of, of standard issue stress there um, that I, and I know myself well enough to know that I probably feel it a little more than some people might like, not that I, I kind of felt like everybody felt it to a certain degree and probably dealt with it in different ways. But like, like I know myself well enough to know that it was probably affecting me a little more than most people, but it still felt standard issue to me. It still felt like air quotes normal. Yeah. But then I got on shore duty and like it was probably six months in. So it was right as COVID was peaking at like March, 2020 is when I got diagnosed with cancer. And then that like 
pulled the pin on the hand grenade. You know what I mean? Like where I lost control of my emotions. I wasn't sleeping. I was snapping at everybody. Um, First radiation treatment. So I did brain surgery, recovered from that, uh, and then started radiation. But like all my doctors were like, it was like talking to fighter pilots where they're like, you're going to be fine. I'm going to cure the crap out of you and you're going to be fine. So like I felt really good about it. And the scary part for me was the surgery. So once I was on the other side of the surgery, I was like, oh, this is fine. Like radiation, the description of it, it was like this daily grind. It's going to suck. You're going to be like miserable and tired all the time. And I'm like, so deployment then got it. Like this is easy. Like I can go to this dark place and suffer that's easy. I've done that before and I know I can do it again. But the the brain surgery things will scare me because I'm like, I might not wake up and all this other crap. But so when I first radiation treatment happens, I'm past the scary part for me. And I uh I'm I'm convinced that yeah, okay, this is gonna suck. And it doesn't even suck until like three weeks in, you start the fatigue hits, and then like four weeks in like the fun skin burns and all this crap start and then you get sores in your mouth and then you God, I was on a liquid diet for a few weeks and it snowballs. And so like about week four, it starts to suck really bad. And then for like, it takes like three weeks after you stop to a month where it kind of reverses itself where like the physical symptoms start to go away. And then the, then the fatigue starts to go away. Um, et cetera. Right. So like it, it snowballs. And then once you stop it, kind of tapers off eventually but it takes some time but like so the very first treatment so like i feel fine i feel better than i have in years because like i don't have a tumor in my face anymore i like can breathe better and sleep a little better and so i feel really good i go in get the treatment it's like you're in there for 20 minutes you don't feel anything it was easy the techs are awesome everybody's super nice and as soon as we get in my car, my wife's with me. As soon as we get in my car, I just start like ugly crying, like immediately. I just start, I break down, start ugly crying. I'm like, and my wife's like, what is wrong? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I, I don't know. Like I couldn't put, I couldn't like explain anything. There wasn't, I wasn't like thinking about anything that was like, I was really worried about or whatever. It was just like, it was just, I lost control of myself for some reason. I don't know why. And uh, so that's what kind of pushed me towards that because then it, like I was all the other things, you know, snappy, short with people and my wife would get the brunt of it. So she was yeah. the one that kind of looked at me and was like, you need to do something about this. And I was like, OK. So then I went and talked to my doc and that's how I ended up talking to somebody. I've been seeing somebody for it's probably been it's been over six months. It's probably been longer than I think it has. I'd have to go back and look. But um and it's been awesome, like, and it's helped a ton. And like, there's been a lot of other things that I've done that have helped also. Um, but a lot of it's been stuff that he's told me to do, you know, and yeah, yeah, it's been amazing. But I'm curious, like, I, like, I don't think anybody, especially J.O.'s on a BN, good God, get through a tour without like scar tissue. So like, I'm curious, like what, like what led up to that point And then kind of how did, how did it? come to a head and then you you ended up going on limb and and dealing yeah. with that and and apparently dealing with it successfully because you got back to you know you got back yeah. to a boat and then got back to and have a higher clearance than i ever did on a boomer so. hell yeah <laughs> yeah so uh i mean nuclear the whole nuclear training pipeline is is rough it's stressful yeah. um i know you did 
whole podcast on that, so I won't I won't go into that. But right, so you're dealing with all that stress, and then mm. you're a jo and a boomer, right? Yeah, um, brutal. It's it's interesting because you think, oh, half the time you don't have the mm-hmm. boat, right? But you're working yep. longer hours, yeah, um, in in your office building than you ever do at sea, which is um, insane. Right. It's just trainer after trainer and, and reading trainings and reading blah, rooms. blah. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so dumb. There's there's no if there is white space it'll it'll get filled. Yep, it'll get honestly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it'll it's get the exterminated. Same yeah. It's because so we're not, gross. We're not occupied with the same missions that fast attacks are doing, right? Our mission is strategic right. deterrence. We're right. we're the threatening big stick out in the ocean. Yeah. Um, so there's tons of white space and that gets filled up. It's the same exact thing, just training. Um, I remember sleep was a big issue for me. I would literally fall asleep. Like I would collapse onto my knees because I'd be standing up. So to try and stay awake and I couldn't, I would collapse onto my knees. I was so tired. Yeah. Um, and this, this is kind of my first interaction with like higher, higher leadership, right? Like my XO, takes me aside and says like this is not acceptable (laughs) this is an e2's problem like you should not be falling asleep in trance like well sorry i'm a human being yeah to sleep stop being a dirty enlisted person right and meanwhile (laughs) right we're in engine up training so it's officers and all the nukes and like this nuke is standing there shoulder to shoulder with me so i don't collapse and Mm -hmm. you know that's the the kind of camaraderie you get meanwhile your exo is chewing on you um that that like I'm, I'm writing that down, like stop being an E2 just because that is like a bumper sticker for the, the, the fact that even senior leadership that could, could take command of a submarine, like fundamentally misunderstanding how leadership works. Right. Like I just, that, that type of stuff that I hear is just like, you're, you're very clearly not investing effectively anything but like not nearly enough into leadership development and education if you have an 04 qualified for command saying something like that to a junior officer who's effectively for all intents and purposes a junior sailor on the ship first tour in the operational military that's collapsing onto their knees due to exhaustion like what other reason would that be happening other than like some type of a medical issue or like complete lack of sleep, which I mean, in my opinion, becomes a medical issue is a medical issue. But like, that's like a thing. That's a problem that you need to be concerned about. Not that you need to be like defaulting to disciplinary action or whatever. Cause like the, why a leader doesn't default to, okay, there's a problem. Like, so the demand signal is you're collapsing onto your knees during a brief that's a pretty huge red flag right so what what's the problem here what's the need that's not being met and how do i best take care of this sailor could that be because you're staying up in your rack gaming or something yeah it could be so maybe we're having a maturity conversation but more often than not it's you're working yourself to the bone because of the war on white space that you just described like this ridiculous overtaxing of people for no reason and it's just like oh my god i i want to like be you know what quantum leap is have you ever heard of it i'm showing my age it's an old tv show um where this guy basically they had like a time travel 
um, technology where he would like uh, travel back in time and occupy people like so he would he like would leap back into time and occupy like um, Lee Harvey Oswald and like make different decisions or not you know based on and I'm like I always wish I could like quantum leap back in time when I hear stories like this and like be the cob and just walk in and punch this XO in his face <laughs> and just be like are you stupid you're stupid aren't you like I know that's not the right answer but that's how I feel when I hear things like that it's just like it pisses me off in a way that's hard to explain um sorry I totally fucking took over there for a second um that shit just that pisses me off when I hear stuff like that that's so disgusting yeah yeah, and that I mean that was the whole the command climate there, right? So I'm yeah. obviously extremely stressed and um one of their great ideas was to not fall asleep in end up training was I had to take uh notes, which I mean I was obviously already doing. Right. Um but sometimes I would doodle on my notes to yeah. you know, try and stay awake, just keep my hand busy. Yeah. I, oh my god, I got into so much trouble for, for, <laughs> for doodling, doodling on my notes. Yeah. And uh, I mean eventually I switched so I was on the mid shift, right? You don't sleep because you stand watch and then mm-hmm. um, there's, you know, war days and training and whatever during yep. the day. And then during the evening, um, I was just racked out constantly for mm-hmm. paperwork or whatever. Right. Um, so eventually I shift onto the, the day's shift and mm-hmm. things start to get a little better. And yeah. I just remember my engine XO like congratulating themselves. Yeah. For fixing you. Notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like oh it really worked we made you take notes and ended up training oh my god (laughs) wow (laughs) wow and like the the hilarious part of all it's like i i've spent a career being devalued based on a, a intelligence that people or like an aptitude or whatever that that so called smart people like these 1120s and in these I'll call them managerial positions because most of them fail to lead, but they judge me because of my rate and, and decide that I'm not smart enough to be part of this conversation or I don't have the aptitude to do certain things because I'm a cook. And then I hear things like this or see things like this all the way up to the flag level. I have seen people behave in this way where they're just so detached from reality and like just so like grossly miss the point that like you're sitting there and you're just like we're not even doing the same thing like you're not even like yet you like to think you're in a leadership position but like we're not doing the same thing like you're doing this thing where you're it's like this self-serving ego stroking gross control or power thing yeah. And I'm like trying to take care of people because that's what leaders are really supposed to be doing. Like I tell chiefs all the time, like your job is no longer to do the mission, right? Like in my role, I'm, so on my last boat, I was a senior chief. Um, I was a department chief, a division chief, and then I was stand and dive and bazillion collateral duties because of course the only, you know, like that's just how that works when you're functional. Yeah. But I told everyone like my role is no longer to do the mission unless I'm like sitting in the dive chair. Like then I'm actually like a doer. And even then I'm supervising people, but there's still things that I'm doing that are direct like functions of doing the mission. But other than that, like when I'm not on watch, 
my job is not to do the mission. My job is to make sure that my sailors are taken care of and all their needs are taken care of so they can do the mission. <laughs> and like that idea escapes so many people wearing khakis to work that it's like mind bending. Yeah. <sighs> that monologue's over now too. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just, this spins me up. Um, I don't even remember. What did I interrupt? I don't even remember where you left off at this uh, point. You, they were uh, congratulating yeah. themselves for note taking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But so, yeah, so that was that was deployment. Uh, in a nutshell, mm. I, uh, I like I couldn't. I literally didn't sleep in my rack. I definitely, um, startled some uh, some watchstanders in a missile compartment upper level because I had little nooks and crannies I'd put ah. myself into to <laughs> to try and catch some some shut eye. Mm. Um. But yeah, I mean, I mean, they're good guys. They never like yeah. on me or anything. Yep. So that was, was very nice oh. of them. Yeah. All right. And then just keep. Yeah. Well, like, oh. they know the struggle, like especially yeah. missile techs. Good God. Those poor guys. Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, it was it was pretty much the same deal uh, in the off crew in the yeah. office. Um, I remember uh, I was doing turnover with another J.O. Um, staking over his division and uh he was just you know we were just sitting there chatting and i just uh i don't remember like i I literally i lost time i lost a couple seconds because i think yeah. i fell asleep and i just remember he was like talking and then all of a sudden he's saying hey are you okay because yeah. I, I just fell asleep like <laughs> talking to him um so i mean so that was that was obviously an issue there um yeah. and then i was just always in a mental fog you know yeah. i i used to be like smart like i remember yeah. being obviously you know i made it um into the nuclear program and i just i wasn't anymore yeah um, i was always in a fog like i was having memory issues mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you know with the the chain of command basically screwing on me all the time i really internalized it or sorry yeah. crapping on me all the time oh, that's good i I, <laughs> I internalized it um and i really took it to heart that i was just like this this piece of human garbage yeah. and like the solution um to everyone's problems would be to kill myself and yeah. it, you know, I pride myself on being a very logical, rational human being. And that solution, it was like two plus two equals four. It was like, well, duh, like I just kill myself and yeah. right. My emotional agony stops and then everyone else um, gets Doesn't rid of it, this, yeah. this waste of oxygen. Right. Yeah. Um, but then I remember the turning point was like actually, you know, trying to, to kill myself and just like sobbing uncontrollably. I couldn't go through with it. Yeah. And uh i thought like oh well maybe maybe i don't actually want to die oh you know, yeah. crazy crazy thought so so i told my doc um you know Im- immediately removed from the boat mm. go and get um therapy which therapy was you know like three months of me trying to convince my therapist why i'm a garbage person who needs to die yeah and saying oh depression isn't real it's just uh it's something made up by garbage people for garbage people to yeah. to um, excuse their existence, um, and even my therapist is like, okay, I think we need to try medication. Yeah, and within months, um, just it was amazing the transformation. Like it really antidepressant saved my life. Yeah, it the clarity was back. The sleep issues are mostly gone. I mean, you know, it's the Navy; you still have yeah. sleep issues, yeah. but my memory was like defogging actively defogging um it's like i don't know if you play video games but you're exploring a map and you're defogging it right yeah, it's like yeah. whoa i can i can remember things and 
Um, yeah. And I could see like how that, you know, my suicidal logic didn't make sense anymore. It's like, right. well, like I was legitimately mentally ill. Um, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. You, you literally described like the last probably five years of my life. <laughs> like where yeah. not, I didn't, I didn't get to suicidal ideations like, or attempts. Like I, that happened on my first boat, but I, and I never attempted, but I considered it. Um, and I, Net weirdly, because back then I, I didn't get therapy. I talked to a chaplain and then like they just put me back on the boat and I grinned and oh, it. so thank yeah. God I didn't get to that point. But um, but yeah, like the mental fog and and the like I used to be smart. And now I have to write everything down and put reminders in my calendar for everything. Um, my therapist sent me to it's called like a um, neuropsych. It's like a they did these evaluations on me to of like my memory and like attention span. And all, I did all these tests. I was there for probably like six hours and it was all these, yeah. it was, you know, you're clicking through this thing on the computer and it was like an intentionally boring yeah. um, exercise where they were playing numbers in a set of headphones and displaying numbers. And I had to click the mouse only when there's a one. And so it'd be saying one or two and displaying one or two. And it was really just monotonous, monotone, like boring on purpose to see how your attention span was. And then like just a bunch of memory stuff and problem solving. And uh, it was really cool. But like, I think a lot of it, it was for me was sleep because I have apparently the world's worst sleep apnea. Um, Cause I was going to ask you if you, if you've ever gotten a sleep study, you said a lot. No, of I, uh, I'm going to try and do that at least before I get out that. just yeah, to get that uh, on the record. hundred yeah. percent do that before you get out. Yeah. Um, not just because of the disability rating stuff, which is, is a thing. Cause like, I think the military does such a thorough job of m- waging war on circadian rhythm that it's just right. like you, ha- everybody's got sleep problems when they get out, even if they don't get it evaluated, but also, um, just for the quality of life. Like, cause I've, I'm still working through it where, I'm, I'm convinced it's why I got cancer. Cause like I had a tumor on my olfactory nerve, which is like your smell nerve. And so it's like, I'm convinced it's because partially cause I just like a deviated septum cause I had a broken nose and I was young and never got it fixed and whatever. But then the sleep thing where I was like mouth breathing while I was sleeping cause I couldn't breathe. But then I, so I wasn't getting quality sleep and then it like you know, quality sleep exacerbates or like poor quality sleep exacerbates like every single right. possible like like anxiety to stress like everything. But uh, yeah, it's I'm I'm still working on it. But like I, I'm I've done two sleeps because I did one sleep study and they're like, oh my god, you're a dumpster fire, and then you have to come <laughs> back because there's two types. Like you can have obstructive sleep apnea, or they call it like um, I think the other one's like general or common or something like that. So one of them's like something is obstructing your airway, like your tongue or, or whatever. And then the other one is like, you just stop breathing for whatever reason mm-hmm. and it wakes you up. And so apparently I have both really bad. So they, and the last one, they like calibrated a, a machine to fix the apneas. But then the guy, the sleep tech was like confused because he goes, he goes, we fixed all your apneas. You breathe through your nose all night, which is huge. And you stay on your back, which is where they want you because that's when it's like the worst or whatever. And he goes, we cleared up everything and and all the apneas were gone and you still kept waking up right when you were about to go into REM sleep. And he's like, I don't know why. <laughs> he's, oh. like, it does. he's like, because it wasn't an apnea that was waking you up. And I was like, hmm. So he's like, yeah, we're going to forward these results and you're probably going to have to come back again because the sleep doctors are going to like want to try something else. And I was like, damn it. But like, I, I do think I'm 
because he gave me a new mask. And so I do think my quality of sleep has gotten a little better, like like incrementally. But I, I've noticed it's gotten a little better. Um, and it's for me, it's a giant thing because I, I've associated it via I was taking this class, but also I just do a lot of research on this because I don't want to die young. So <laughs> like I uh I it exacerbates every negative health thing that you have, you know what I mean? So I think yeah. that even just the incremental sleep improvements I think has made like my anxiety and and stuff better and then um just general health. I'm able to like I started doing jujitsu as like a just an activity to get I, I've always wanted to do it, but that's an aside. Like I needed something physical. I always have like I like being active. Um I was really into like CrossFit and Olympic weightlifting for a long time. And then it's kind of like eventually I, I need a new problem to solve. Like I just want a new challenge. And so I've always wanted to try that. And it's really physically demanding. So like it's it's good for me when I can do it because it I get a lot of that anxiety out. It, it's I am like interacting with people, which is another problem I have, <laughs> like getting out of the house and and like interacting with people that aren't my wife and like right. random work people. Um, and it's, just, I don't know, something about it. It's just like the community of it or whatever. Like I stay after class a lot and talk to my coach, which is an amazing dude. And um, some of the just guys that go there, a lot of Navy like veterans or active duty guys go there. Um, but it's like, if I don't get good enough sleep, then I don't have the juice to go do that. And then, you know, it all, and then I get into the self-flagellation of like, <laughs> like you're a piece of crap for not going yeah. and like yeah all that kind of stuff so um but yeah the sleep anyway the sleep thing yeah i highly 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 recommend to you and everybody listening like get a sleep study at your earliest possible convenience yeah. because i guarantee the navy has at least damaged your sleep if it hasn't completely broken it like it has for me how so you went and started doing therapy and you said that the you got to the point where antidepressants therapy everything started to rectify um the issues so then like at what how do, how do you like get back from that because i'm curious i'm always curious about how because i never got to limdu they kind of they suggested it but like mm -hmm. i never really quite got there um yeah. so like how do because i know people worry about this a lot when you get into like the seeking mental health treatment it'll jeopardize yeah. my clearance and i and always you know what i will say for enlisted anyway it's mm -hmm. really unfortunate but like i was on uh limdu with a couple enlisted guys and they yeah. are they're treated like absolute right like i say wow. hey I'm, I'm feeling a certain way and there's like okay you know what can we do to help you yeah so the uh the enlisted right i'm a junior o2 they're not in my division i can't really do much to advocate for them but you know i could still talk to them and they would tell me how they're just not believed. Um, yeah. You know, they're on limb do and the solution is, well, you need to stop complaining and go back to a boat. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know, maybe the, the licensed, you know, psychologist with this PhD saw something different, but ultimately that guy was a lieutenant um, in the Navy. So um, I don't know what it was, but enlisted were just, they tended to not be believed or, the go-to was always like, oh, well, they're just trying to get out of work or they don't want to yeah. watch. Um, whereas an, as an officer, I was, it was always like, oh, okay, she's got, you know, they took me seriously and you know, huh. they understood. And another, a common thing there was so enlisted, 
that I, the enlisted the guys I was talking to, they asked for help before they were suicidal, which you should 100% do. You should not wait until you're right. ready to kill yourself. But then you don't really get taken seriously, unfortunately. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, that was definitely part of the reason I waited so long because I could tell, right? There's It's a point long before you decide to kill yourself where yeah. you're like, hey, something's not right with me. Right. Um, but it's impossible to explain that to someone because then they'll be like, well, what, what's, what are the issues? And it's like, oh, well... You know, I'm on shift work and my boss is mean to me. And then they're going to be like, well, get over yourself. Right? Yeah. It sounds like you're just complaining. Like, right. oh, well, everybody's life is hard. Suck it up. Yeah. I'm surprised that it like I because and I, my experience was probably similar to yours because I'm a master chief and I went to yeah. another master chief and was like, hey, man, I need to see somebody at mental health. And he immediately was advocating for me um in that way so like it, not many you know and i went and saw like my 04 pcm and because i needed a referral and just told him what was going on and he gave me the referral but i if an e2 went in there would he have tried yeah. to talk him out of it i don't know right maybe like he maybe would have would have looked at it like because I, I i complain about i was at stationed on an army base for a while and when i would go to medical they would treat me like i was some like specialist coming in and trying to get out of pt I'm oh. like, I'm an E8. Like, I I walked it off and took Motrin already for two weeks before I even came in a sick call. Like, how about you do your job? Like, and I would, like, get mad at him because I'm like, look, I'm not trying to, like, squeak out a PT in the morning because I don't feel like running. Like, I don't have to run if I don't want to because I'm an E8. Like, I need <laughs> I need help with my whatever. Like, I had a torn labrum at one point. And, uh. Uh, I just did the ill-advised CrossFit workout with a bazillion pull-ups without warming up and tore my labrum like an idiot. But, like, stuff like that, I would go. I don't go to medical till I'm bleeding out my eyeballs. So, like, don't – because their instant response was because they were just so jaded by it being a training command was like, here's some Motrin 800s, walk it off and come back in two weeks if it's still a problem. And I'm like, yeah, no, I did that already. I'm a grown up. Like, yeah. like how about how about you treat me? So I wonder, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the experience is. And it's, I, I'm sure it's different. Cause like, I do know, like just anecdotally, I get a lot of, um, like, especially prior students of mine, I keep in touch with a lot of them. And then just people through the podcast will reach out. And I had a prior student recently, having she had prior depression issues where she was on medication um and i think it was before the navy and then she was having issues again and was really struggling and needed to see somebody and the command was kind of like giving her the runaround and i think a lot of it was related to it was something that i'm going to talk to that doc about um when we get on the mental health podcast but um was that everything is super backed up like i was doing a bunch yeah. of research for it and it's like like got poor veterans. Like if you're in a fleet concentration area and you're trying to go to the VA for mental health treatment, good luck. Like it like weeks, like you're, you're going to, and I don't know if there's like an emergency intake process, but if you're just trying to get an appointment, it's like anywhere from like two weeks to months. And it's just like, holy crap. And then same thing with like my boss uh, was doing like an all hands thing and he, same thing. He was addressing the idea that like our mental health services in our area are overtaxed and it's really difficult to get an appointment. So he was kind of just inserting this like, if you're in crisis, tell us and we will insert ourselves into the process to expedite you getting whatever you need from wherever you need it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. cause I know there was a gap where I was going and, and 
you have to like for we have to travel for these inspections that we do but they had us doing the like roming in a hotel room for two weeks or whatever so i'm i missed a one of my mental health appointments um because my schedule changes a lot and i at the time i wasn't like scheduling a bunch of follow-ups out like months because i didn't think i had to and uh so when i missed it i waited until just before we were flying home and i called and was like hey i need to reschedule that appointment i missed I couldn't get another appointment for like three or four weeks. And I'm just like, what? And I'm like, at this point, I'm I'm in the midst of like still having issues. And I'm just like, how is this? How is it like five, six weeks out? Like, this doesn't make any sense. But that's apparently normal. It's like everybody, it's just so overtaxed because there's just not enough resources. Like the, even right now, because I'm in a better place, um, the lieutenant that I go see, he was like, how do you feel about us referring you out in town to continue like because you I want to continue until I retire because he said he's like you know I want to counsel my way out of a job basically I want you to fire me oh, yeah. and uh, I'm like yeah which I get but also like I'm there's certain things about the reasons why I think I have these issues that I don't think are going to get better when I retire and uproot and we're going to move to Texas and just all this stuff's going to happen and I'm like, I'm not going to have mechanisms in place to deal with everything. And I think just the just the act of having the conversations with him is is one of the things I need in my life that I don't really have another mechanism for besides my wife, which she's obviously amazing. But like, I need more than just one person. Yeah. And uh, and this guy's completely impartial too. So, um. But yeah, he's like referring me out in town for that reason. Like he just, he needs to clear some of his calendar so yeah. that he can take on more patients. And it's like, it's brutal. Cause I like, even, even then it's like, so you're, you're maybe you're getting taken seriously, maybe not. And it seems like it's probably with, with junior people, it's probably largely not because again, like even just the, you having the sleep issues and you, that you can't stand up. And what's the response? The response is like, fix yourself, you know, like right. what's wrong with you? Um, and they're not asking those questions because they actually want to help you. It's like scolding you. Right. And so like, what is the response that like an 04 doc or if you even make it that far and probably your corpsman, like, I don't know, second class or a chief or somebody that's your first point of contact at medical when you're like, I need to see a mental health professional. And it's like, I think in a weird way, I think a lot of people always default to that. Like, cause I, like I've seen a bunch of people use that to get out of work, like oh, yeah. to, you know, people want to get off the boat or not go on deployment. And sometimes there's legitimate mental health issues there, but there's been a bunch of times that I think a lot of us have seen where at least on the outside looking in, it feels like that person is just trying to get out of work. And so it's like, I understand because it's a natural human reaction, but also sometimes one, it's not, there actually is mental health issues there, right. but also like there within that population, there's a, a large portion of it that like a significant portion, it might not be more than half. I don't know, but it's a big enough, even if it's one person, it's a big enough it's a big enough measure of people that like really need that help right. and are having a hard time getting it because they're either not being taken seriously or yeah. the resources don't exist. But 
You still there? Did I lose you? Yeah. yeah okay, you, cool. Did my mic Sorry. talk again? Okay. Nah, it's dramatic pause. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the, so, I, and I don't even, I think I brought it up already, but I don't think we fully got there. So how did you get back to like fully up around? Like we started talking about that earlier oh, yeah, and then I don't yeah. think we fully, I don't think we fully closed that thought out. Yeah. So, uh, so I thought I was, um, going to be disqualified, you know, subs and new, right. um, but actually, uh, it was very interesting. So the CEO of where I was working was a one star. Um, mm. and you know, I don't know how it got to his attention again, probably cause you know, he has, it's unusual. He had some enlisted working on the quarter deck who were on Limdu. Um, but I guess it's more unusual to have an officer come in working on yeah. Limdu. So he was just like, you know, hey, what's your situation? What do you want to do going forward? And he had the the UMO, the undersea medical officer there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, sir, you know, this is where I'm at right now. Therapy, medication. I'd like to finish my JO tour, but I don't know if that's possible. And so the Admiral asks one question. He says to the UMO, um, what can we do to get her, um, you know, back on a ship? Yeah. And... <laughs> Like a week later, it's like, oh yeah, you, your waiver's going through. And yeah, magic. That's, right. <laughs> that's that's all it takes is like, well, you know, the a right flag person. Officer, yeah. yeah. It's like <laughs> the right person to get interested. Yep. Um, yeah. So my waiver went through okay. and um, went back to my boat. Um, right. Failed PNO. Went to the Intel community where the um, requirements for your security security clearance are a lot higher. Um, and, and they'll ask you, they ask you like very specific mental health questions. So something like, you know, depression or, um, suicidal behaviors don't actually fall under that. But, you know, I, I asked a question, I said, Hey, I don't have, you know, psychosis or like, I'm not hearing voices, you know, stuff like that, but I did have these issues. And she's like, Oh, were you, were you self-referred or like, did did they make you go to a hospital? And I was like, Oh no, it's a self-referral. And she said, oh, that's great. No, we actually look at that favorably. So um, if there's any impact to your clearance from seeking mental health, it's probably a good one. That's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, because I know that's a big concern with a lot of people. And I I try to tell people that as well. Like I've been in mental health treatment for a long time and I have a TSSCI clearance. So it's like you're not uh, like it's never even come up. Um, as I've gone through everything, like all my medical issues and then the mental health stuff, like it, yeah, it's, I've never even had to have a conversation about it. Um, and to be fair, like I'm not actively using that clearance right now. Like it's from the projects days, but like, yeah, I, it's still the clearance. Um, so yeah, I just, yeah, it's never been an issue for me and it's, it's good to hear that it hasn't been one for you either. Yeah. Sorry, my dogs are barking. Yeah. Um, so uh, the other, so I had, this is going to be a weird pivot for some listeners, but like I talked to you via email about it. Um, I'm curious, so like le- leadership perspective wise, so the, how, how is it different for you in your experience as a female officer on submarines um, when do you, like, cause you even mentioned it earlier, just like, well, I'm able to talk to them and like have conversations right. with them and like my, the enlisted sailors. And, um, I'm, you know, like as a divo, you're not going to be able to like advocate for them and get much done a lot of the times without right. the chief getting involved or like a department head. But 
like what was your experience with um like interacting with them and, and what kind of differences did you see with like how some of the other JOs or department heads did it? And then also like, cause I, I got this feeling cause I served with female JOs on my last boat and I got this feeling that they kind of just understood people more innately, I guess like they just, most of the female JOs had a connection with the enlisted sailors that, a lot of a lot, not all, but a lot of the male officers didn't. And it was more like this, the typical, like almost like adversarial or like um, senior subordinate type relationship, which it, it it's in a certain way it's appropriate. But right. um, there was a very clear separation between most of like the male officers, it felt like than it was the female and it's not I, I say most because there was definitely like there was probably one department head like we had a weps that was really close with his guys yeah. and then like obviously a weps was a chief so i feel like he just came up differently and had different programming um and i'm trying to think if there's any other like some of the male jos i feel like just based on age and maturity level and level of indoctrination into the culture and stuff. Like some of the male JOs seem to be more chill and closer with the junior guys, but not all. And then, yeah, Yeah. like all the, but all it was universal with the female officers where it was just like, there was a level of just like understanding and compassion and um, willingness to have certain types of conversations. So I'm I'm just wondering like, am I, (laughs) am I perceiving something that wasn't fully real or is that something that you saw as well as far as like yeah no i've i've seen it too so uh i took over uh uh mpa Mm. oh it's been a while main propulsion assistant um yeah (laughs) from another yeah from another female jo and uh i remember like the division being like oh like man we're losing mother like that was what they called her because there's there's she just advocated for like she cared about them you know obviously she did she did her jo thing like she made the guys you know do maintenance stand watch all that kind of stuff but um there's definitely that sense of like she she cared about them she was you know the mother hen Um, yeah uh, so I, i think there is definitely more of that more of a human approach rather than like these are bodies that you have to put on watch. It's more like, okay, no, well, this is, you know, John Smith and he needs to stand yeah. watch, but his wife is pregnant. So who can yeah. we get to, you know, replace them? Um, and like you said, there's, a, there's obviously, there's male JOs who are capable of empathy. Um, yeah. but <laughs> it's, uh, I, I do see it more, um, in the female JOs. Uh, oh, one time, uh, I forget where it was. I think some of the JOs like went out to a bar and one like division just happened to be there too. And yeah. like they left. So, the, you know, the, the division left. Um, but one of the guys left his phone there and the division officer, female Divo found his phone and he's like, Oh, I think it's, you know, I think it's this guy's, but I'm not sure. So let me, let me guess the password. And she guessed it just cause ah. she knew, she knew her division so well. So she guessed the password and she's like, Oh yeah, it's this dude's phone. I knew it. Uh, that's hilarious. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I had a cob that we had this one female JO that um, she was very vocal about like super intelligent, really awesome. I thought she was a great officer, but like there was this 
um, there's like this feeling of like, she's not one of us or something from the triad where, cause she was very vocal about sailor issues. She was like, it was like right. having a vocal chief. Yeah. Except as a J.O., it's like she wasn't supposed to be doing that, I guess. Exactly. But it's like yeah. even as like she was a fully qualified lieutenant and they're like trying to give her a hard time because like the more qualified and senior she got, the more vocal she was. And right. it was funny because like E6 and below like loved her like every one of them. She was like a ride or die. But then like you'd hear I'd hear my cob talking about like how um she was like a pain in the butt and like was always like trying to she would call her what he called her like Moses or something something weird where it was like just like let my people go like oh. just like this constant advocacy for stuff that didn't make sense and was contrary like only to like in the Navy is being called Moses <laughs> an insult <laughs> yeah I know right like and it's it was just this weird like adversarial view of her where they were just like uh oh yeah she's like a, a rabble rouser like she's and it's like all she was doing was pushing back on like natural stuff like hey my guys aren't getting enough sleep or this doesn't yeah. make like we'd be in like meetings where she would um because she ended up being like the aops or something where she was showing up to like ops briefs and planning meetings in in like place of or whatever if the department was busy or sometimes she would just show up anyway and I think she started realizing she could have a bigger impact. So she just showed up anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and, um, and she was vocal. So like it was, she would be like, we'd be planning like the plan of the week or we would be um, planning like future operations with Oss Reef. And she would say, that doesn't make sense because this watch section needs to get this much sleep and there's all this yeah. other stuff going on that you're not thinking about. So we can't do that. And everybody's just like getting mad at her. And it's like, well, she's right. Like, yeah. like it's not because a lot of times it would only be the chief saying stuff like that. And that's if the chiefs say it, which I was, I was lucky to be in a, a mess with a bunch of really awesome department chiefs that, that advocated for stuff like that all the time. Um, even it, like sometimes we had to go to war with our cob, but most of the time he was on our team um, more because of peer pressure than because he would have gotten there himself. But like he would, he would just kind of go with it, especially with our EDMC. Yeah. Um, Cause that dude was brilliant, but uh, he also cared a lot about his, his sailors, which I can't say. I don't know. Maybe most nukes would, I don't know. I, th I feel like most nukes would probably say, that's not always true, <laughs> but this dude was incredible. Um, and he was, it was weird to me. I remember just, it was notable, not weird. It was notable to me how much he programmed that into everything he did. Like everything he did, it was like the first filter it went through was how does this affect my sailors? Like, how does this affect yeah. my department? Um, but yeah. All right. That, yeah. Cause I was, that was something I was, t I forget who I, it came up with someone. It might've been, I, or I was talking to um, that CO and he's a post to her sub CO. And I asked him that kind of, we arrived at that somehow where it was like, there was just a level of, of empathy and like concern for like well being outside right. of like, are you fully qualified? And like, are, did you yeah. get all the maintenance done? And yeah. what collateral duties do you have? And stuff like that. Like outside of professional requirements and, or like advancement stuff, like yeah. they're genuinely concerned and they're not just genuinely concerned about it, but they're, it's like the first filter. It's like the first thing I care about. 
is you as a person are you which right. is how it's supposed to be that's how everybody should think about it because that feeds into everything else not the other way around like they go about it backwards yeah um, it is yeah. i get that it's harder because uh you know there's not too many female department heads yet so i guess yeah. we'll see when they get up to you know the senior like department yep. at 0304 when you're in charge of more people like yeah, it does. There's that trade off, right? Like, obviously, I care about every one of you, but I still need to get the mission done. And, like, this, yeah. you know, 05, 06 is breathing down on my neck. Um, I mean, that's one of the reasons. Right. Like, I don't I don't want to be an 04. I feel like you, you trade your soul for those opens. <laughs> um, and it, I mean, it's a rough balance. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting yeah. moving forward to see. I think you and and granted his experience wasn't submarines the whole time, but like my current supply officer is an O four, and he's he's been an O four for a minute. Um, but his so he supply officers they do the one sub tour generally, and then progress through like the rest of the navy and surface community primarily. So he's been on, I think, a couple of carriers, and then mm. just done like supply shore tours. But like he's the type of dude like he would give me the shirt off his back if he thought I might need it. Like he's yeah. that type of a dude, and he he was a prior enlisted uh, nuke electrician on submarines too. So there's that's part of it is like he did like a whole tour on a boat and then got commissioned. Um, so I think that feeds it a lot. Is like he he is very attached to the idea of not forgetting where he came from and not right. acting like he's better than anybody or whatever. Um, but like the point of that being, I think you can keep your soul. But he's also like he didn't do multiple submarines either because like I caught a female J or not a female J I female department head. I caught a female nav on my way out the door. No, um, but like it was, we were already in dry dock almost. And so like I, and she was on the other crew. So like I stood duty with her a few times and like mm -hmm. interacted with her a little bit, but like I never, I never really got to experience her leadership, you know, like right. or see or really get like a feel from the people that worked for her. Um, like how she was, but I know she was super high functioning and like she was oh. ranked as like the one of the top navs on the waterfront because I think she wow. did do a patrol on the other crew. Um, so they got to see it. I just never I don't I don't even think I thought to ask, to be honest, back then. Yeah. But um, she seemed really cool, though. Like when I stood duty with her, like she was I liked her. I mean, she was. I, but again, like, I mean, it was like a pretty superficial interaction. Yeah. Um, cause you know, import dry dock duty days aren't that eventful. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, right. There's so. not exactly a lot of leadership challenges presented. Yeah, exactly. She was, she seemed cool, but yeah, I, I don't know. I know like I have a lot of hope because there, there were so many cool female JOs that like, um, I'll mention a name when we stop recording. Like I'm, I want her to be a CO. She would be so fucking, she'd be, and I, she's one of those people that you just know, she's not going to lose her way. Like she, I think she would get out of the Navy before she changed who she was yeah. to accommodate the Navy's demands. You know what I mean? Like she's just, right. God, yeah. she'd be good. So, and I think, she, I think she's staying in, but I'm not sure. But anyway, um, anything else you want to hit on before we wrap up? Like, I don't know. I think I've, yeah. I think I've hit everything on, on my end that I wanted to bring up, but if there's anything Yeah, yeah I think we hit all the, the topics. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I really appreciate you doing this, um, yeah, especially being as candid as you were about mental health stuff because it's not easy for a lot of people. And I, 
like I got on my way to talk about it, even though I'd like, I don't know, like I'm not that uncomfortable with it, but I'd also yeah. kind of rather not. But like, right. it's, it's just one of those things though, that it's like, I know, I know it's something that if I, t- if I'm willing to talk about it and normalize the idea that, well, like I'm a mass chief and I'm doing it. So, you know what I mean? Like then yeah. I feel like it could help. So I, I think it's awesome that you're willing to openly talk about it, especially like getting to the place that you were in. Like that's, yeah, that's, it's cool to hear people talk about it and hear that there's a, there's another side, like you can get through it and the other side right. looks like this, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's pretty amazing. So. Yeah. If, if anyone listening gets to um, go seek mental health, if they're encouraged by this and like, if it's even one person, then that's a win. Definitely, I can. If they were having any reservations, yeah, for sure. I'm def. I I hope that that's the result, and that's why, like me and that doc, are going to spend a bunch of time on it as well. Is like, and it's going to be more programmatic, I think, and talking about like the the demands on the system and the issues with the system and how it can be better. But, um, but yeah, I I appreciate you doing that. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on. This was awesome. Yeah, yeah. I've never been on a podcast before, so that's cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I loved talking to her. Really great conversation. Uh, turns out we were like ships passing in the night at one of uh, our submarine commands. Um, and like I, the opportunity was there for like kind of, but it just like based on I, I basically encountered her right as she was heading off the submarine for the her mental health limb do. Um, and then she ended up moving on and I didn't really know anything about what was going on because it was like she was leaving as i was coming in um but wow like i'm really glad we got to have that conversation i'm really glad i got to know her a little bit um i look forward to talking to her again if the opportunity presents itself but i'm for sure going to keep track of (laughs) where she goes from here uh because i'm excited to see her flourish and succeed as a um as a civilian but i really uh i appreciate anyone that is able to be that candid about that moment in their lives, um, struggling with something like, uh, like attempting suicide and just the mental health issues at all. Like anybody that's willing to have that conversation. Um, I applaud just for having the courage to do that. But then also like, I mean, being as candid as she was about where she was at and how she worked through that, like amazing. Um, so that was, that was fun. That one meant a lot to me because of the, you know, like I I didn't get to a place where I was struggling with suicidal ideations, but, um, it was cool to talk to another person that struggled with mental health and that was in that position. And I don't know, it felt good to have that conversation. Um, I actually had to cancel one of my mental health appointments today so that, uh, because it snowed not to just cause to do the podcast. Um, I had to cancel the appointment because we got a bunch of snow. Like we got like eight inches of snow where I live. And I had just, this is the punchline. I had just shoveled the driveway and cleared off my cars and all this stuff. And then last night out of nowhere, it snows another like four inches. So the roads were already not fully recovered because this area doesn't deal with snow well, because we don't usually get this much. And then it snowed again. So I canceled my appointment because getting there would have been a nightmare. Um, but then it almost feels like I got to do it anyway. Like I, I, f- I feel that type of like relief that I feel after talking to, uh, talking to my, uh, therapist. So <laughs> good stuff. Thank you to you, uh, LT. That was awesome. And then, uh, 
as always, uh, if you want to support us, go to dguestpodcast.com. There's a donate button. That money goes strictly to paying the bills and keeping the lights on for the podcast platform itself. It is not for profit. It does not go in my pocket ever. Um, so there's that. And then if you want to support us on the business front, like we're trying to expand the platform in a lot of different ways. Um, and one of the ways in which we're doing that is D guts apparel. So we started a t-shirt brand. It's, I mean, it's t-shirts, stickers, it's going to expand other things, hats and all that. I got some dope shower shoes. If you guys want some submariner shower shoes, um, but go check out D guts apparel.com. Uh, you can follow us at D guts apparel on Instagram or don't give up the ship apparel on Facebook, uh, but go check that out. Please, uh, if you can, and if you're willing, get yourself some Naval Pride and Heritage gear that you'll actually wear in public. More to come. Uh, we're going to expand out to all kinds of different communities, like warfare communities, rates, everything, do all kinds of cool stuff. More to come. Um, there's a bunch of stickers that are going to be up soon. The new t-shirt just dropped, Steely-Eyed Killers of the Deep. If you want a sick Submariner shirt, go get that. Um, and then... Uh, if you need anything from us, hit us up. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us. Don't give up the ship podcast, or you can DM us on Instagram or Reddit or discord at D gets podcast. I uh, got some fun stuff coming up. Discord live Q and A is coming up. Uh, this ask the CEO suggestion box Q and a series is coming up. Uh, mental health episode with my IDC buddy, uh, mass chief Corman. He's an awesome dude. That's coming up. Uh, a lot of cool stuff inbound. Uh, I hope everybody has a super happy new year. I'm going to go roll some lumpia with my mother-in-law because apparently I'm an expert. Uh, <laughs> I did a really good job the first time around and that's how I'm going to spend my day. But I hope you guys all have an awesome new year. This will probably come out way after that, but that's it's the 30th as I'm recording it. So I hope everybody had a great time and stayed safe. And that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship. <laughs>